0: So, Galatians 3, 1, 14. Um, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because they, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith, on the contrary... The man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, this week I had a. I received it well, two days ago, I received a text message which said um, that I was eligible to apply for my vaccine, my COVID vaccine certificate. Um, and there was a link that you could go to do it. And then there was another sentence which made me think, oh, it said, you may be fined if you don't apply for it. Well, I wonder if you've ever fallen for a con or for a scam, or if you haven't, perhaps you know someone else who who has done. Perhaps you're quite sensible and you would never fall for a text message or the email that promises you some wonderful prize, you know, tells you you've won a prize, you just have to click on and enter a few of your details um, and then you'll get it. Or perhaps you get one of those phone calls that tells you that your Amazon account or your broadband supplier has been compromised and would you just sort of reset your details. Well, you may not have fallen for it, but you may well know someone who has. I certainly know people who have fallen for some horrendous scams. And of course, afterwards, they feel very foolish. They just realise how foolish it was to fall for that. Well, today we're going to be looking at the Galatian church again. And we're going to think about how those people in the church in Galatia, they were a bit like that. They had fallen for a, a massive scam, really, or a massive... Uh, thing they'd been taken in by. But before we do that, shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we uh, look at these uh, few verses in chapter 3 of Galatians together, that you'd help us uh, just to learn the lesson uh, that the Galatians had to learn. Help us not to fall into that same trap of being uh, misled, but help us to keep following you. And we pray that as we do that, we'd also, and as we look, we may also um, be amazed as well as we Look at the end of the chapter at uh, all that the Lord Jesus achieved for us on the cross. May um, we learn that, and uh, may it be to your glory. We ask it in his name. Amen. So do, um, do keep Galatians open. So I've just closed that bit there. Um, but if you haven't got it, then hopefully you have got it already, but it's on page 1169. So it be great, because we're going to be... Um, going to be sort of skimming around a bit in those 14 verses. Um, So they had fallen, those Christians in in that uh, sort of whole area of Galatia, had fallen for this contract. They'd been taken in, um, and they'd been very foolish. And the Apostle Paul, had earlier in chapter 1, he'd said he was astonished that they could have been so easily taken in. He said it was as if they'd come under a spell, And, as you may remember, if you've been here in previous weeks, they've been persuaded that the cross of Christ wasn't enough. Um, To be a Christian, to be part of God's family, apparently needed more. So, as we've already seen um, in this letter, they'd fallen from the lie that uh, you had to follow certain Jewish customs. The men would have to be circumcised, and uh, there were all sorts of religious days and festivals that they should be um, observing. Last week, uh, Rob showed us how um, the Apostle Paul had opposed Peter. So in chapter 2, we read that you know, Paul um, challenged Peter because Peter had been pushed into separating himself from the non-Jewish Christians and eating separately um, with, separately from those who weren't Jews. And Paul had argued quite rightly that being put right with God um, didn't depend on... Uh, doing things, so being put right with God, you may remember Rob said is the same as the word justified, for so being justified, which means being put right with God, doesn't depend on doing certain things, so it doesn't depend on being circumcised or keeping festivals or traditions, because those things don't put you right with God. And having described back in chapter 2 how um, he had challenged, Paul, how Paul had challenged Peter, he now, and corrected him, he now turns his attention here in chapter 3 back to the Christians in Galatia. And as you can see, he really, he really lays into them. Now you may think uh, that some of Galatia, the letter to Galatians is a bit repetitive. And in some ways, some points do keep being repeated. But I guess that's because it's really important. But as well as seeing some things perhaps we've seen already as we look at these few verses, we're also going to see the central importance of the cross of Christ. So in this first half of chapter 3, there are two sets of contrasts. There are two contrasts that we're going to look at, two contrasting routes or ways that we can go and two contrasting results that that come depending on which way we go. So what are the two routes that we can take? Well, the first one is that we just trust in human effort. The idea, it's the idea that we can uh, earn our way into God's good books. The idea uh, that if I do the right thing, then I'll be okay. It's all about sticking to rules and doing things. And that's what Paul means when he talks about uh, the works of the law. Of course, the law itself is good. The law was good, there was no, um, nothing wrong about the law. But the problem, but there is a problem, because if we think that we can keep the law, or think that keeping the law will be enough, that doesn't work, because no matter how many good things we do, we all know that we're never perfect. You know, Each of us, if we honestly reflect about ourselves, we know that there are things in the way that we uh, live, the way that we behave, or the way that we think, that we know aren't right. And yet, despite it, it's still terribly easy, isn't it, to think that we can do our best and be good enough. Well, that's the first route, but contrasting with this is the other route, the other way to go, the other way to live that Paul describes in this section, and that's to trust in God's plan, to trust in the Lord Jesus. And that's what Paul calls the way of faith, Now, you may uh, remember God had given the law. He'd given it through the commandments. He'd given that to Moses to instruct the people of Israel. But long before that, before Moses' time, sort of more than 400 years before that, um, Abraham had demonstrated or already showed that this second route, this, this way of faith, of believing God, that that was the way to go. The law came in as a temporary thing, That wasn't ever going to work. wasn't ever going to be the way that would really work. Abraham had showed uh, that the root of faith was the way to go. And Paul, in this section, he says, Abraham was credited with righteousness. He quotes from Genesis 15. He He says that Abraham was put right with God or justified, not because of anything he did, but because he believed God. So I'll just read a couple of a few verses from genesis 15 just to remind us what that story was all about so genesis genesis 15 the first six verses of of that uh, of that chapter so abraham was an old man by that point he and sarah were old they had no children and yet god well this is what happened after this the word of the lord came to abraham in a vision do not be afraid abraham i'm your shield your very great reward But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then it says that God, God took Abraham, God took, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then, he said, and then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And then we have this verse 6, which is the verse that Paul quotes in Galatians 3. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So what that was saying was that way back there, long before the the law was ever given through Moses, Abraham had showed that the way to get right with God, to be credited with righteousness, was to trust and to believe God, not to do anything. He didn't have to do anything. He just had to trust in God. He listened to God. He completely trusted what God had said. And because of that, it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. So, we have this choice. We can go one way or the other. We can choose to go the way of the law, relying on our efforts, um, or the way of faith, believing in the Lord Jesus. So, we can take these two contrasting routes, two ways to go. And depending on which way we go, what are the results? Well, again, there are two contrasting results. The results of going each way is different. I don't know if you noticed it as we, read, as we read through these verses together. The two ways are curse or blessing. If we take the first route, if we trust just in what we can do ourselves, trust in human effort, that's actually bound to fail. The idea that keeping the law, that sticking to rules would succeed, it doesn't work because none of us is able to do that. Unless someone is able perfectly to keep the law, then the verdict is curse. So look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything, to do everything written in the book of the law. None of us can do that. So that says, if you you go that way, you're under a curse. But it's interesting that Paul says here that the Old Testament scriptures had already taught the Jewish people that that wasn't the way to go. Um, The prophet Habakkuk, which is the quotation in verse 11, had declared that the righteous will live by faith. He was saying that it's only righteous people, or people of faith are going to be the ones who are righteous. And then as verse 12 tells us, the law, of course, says, not, well, verse 12 says the law isn't based on faith. On the contrary, and if we paraphrase, so verse 12 has a quote from Leviticus, if we paraphrase that quote, it says, if you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all of its commands. So just trying to stick to the rules or human effort won't work, and the result is curse. But then in contrast, if we go down the route of trusting in the Lord Jesus, going down the route of trust, that leads to blessing. The way of faith results in blessing. Now the blessing was even predicted long ago, and even a long, and again, a long, long time before the law was given, um, when God promised to bless all nations through Abraham, that comes so the quote there in, um, in verse eight or when it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. That comes even even before that bit we've just looked at in chapter 15. That comes in chapter 12 of Genesis. And way back then, God had said that nations, that the whole world would be blessed through Abraham, through his descendants. And it says that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So, how is this blessing, you know, it says that there's blessing, so there's curse if we go one way, blessing if we go the other way, how, how is this blessing experienced? Well, of course, there are lots of answers to that, but in this passage, there are two particular, two particular things that Paul highlights, two aspects of blessing. So in verse 8, which we've just looked at, we read that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So justification, being put right with God, is just this wonderful blessing that comes from faith in Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, then we can be put right with God. But there's much more than that. Verse 14 tells us that faith in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, that brings us the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And all who trust, all everyone who trusts in Christ, receives the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. We have to come back in a few weeks' time when we get to chapter 5 to find out a bit more about how the Holy Spirit living in us helps us to live, but let's keep that till we get there. So, these two great contrasts, two ways to go. On the one hand, going the way of thinking we can do it ourselves, and that leads to curse or separation or exile from God's presence. And on the other hand, Trusting in God, faith, that leads to blessing, which includes justification, being put right with God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we go back to the start of chapter 3, it's no wonder, is it, that Paul describes the Galatians as absolute idiots, as fools, as people who have fallen for the most awful trick, or who have been bewitched by a terrible spell. If if you're a Christian believer, ask yourself the questions that Paul asks his readers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit because of the things that you did, the good you've done? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit because you trusted in the Lord Jesus? And are we tempted, you know, are you or I, are we tempted to think like the Galatians? You know, you might well say, oh, yes, yes, of course Jesus died on the cross for me, that's a start, but I need to do my bit. Eugene Peterson uh, did a paraphrase of the whole Bible called The Message, and in that paraphrase, he puts these verses like this. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you were not smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose that you could perfect it? So how can we, how can we be so foolish and be tempted and go on to think like that? Or to fall for the trick that is played on us by those who suggest that we need to do this or do that or experience this or that to be really to be put right with God. I guess we could think and we could talk for quite a long time about um, all sorts of different ways in which there might be pressure to do something or experience something in order to be a so-called real Christian. And the list that we, between us, would come up with might be Endless. If, if you've been a Christian for a long time or for some time, you'll probably have faced up to some of the fads that come and go. And if you're if you're much younger, then you will do. You know, during life, you'll have lots of lots of people who will say, "This is the way you've got to do this. This is really important." Well, let's beware of anything that encourages us to go down the route of law rather than the route of faith. And then. In this chapter, in this, in this section, we also see that uh, being a Christian in the Galatian culture wouldn't have been easy. And so Paul asked them and said, you know, you've gone through all this already. So you've suffered so much for the good news. Surely that wasn't in vain. Are you going to throw it all away now? So as Paul does, let's ask ourselves again, has God really blessed us with the Holy Spirit and worked great changes in our lives, if we're Christians, because of what we've done? No, of course not. Don't be so stupid. Don't be so foolish as to think that. But there's still one very important question to ask. And that is, you know, it's all very well saying that faith in Jesus is the way to go. That's the way to go. But how is it that faith in Jesus leads us to us being put in the right with God? How does faith in Jesus allow God to justify us? How are we justified well, Paul reminds the Galatians that central to the gospel, central to the good news, is the cross of Christ. And when Paul had preached to them, he says he'd enabled them to see the Lord Jesus crucified. That, that's where he told them to look. He said, look, look there. That's where he directed their attention. Now, of course, Probably none of them were actually there in Jerusalem when Jesus actually was crucified. They weren't present there. But as, as Paul very clearly explained the meaning of the cross to them, he says it was as if he was showing them a signboard with a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. He was painting a picture, a verbal picture, a picture, and helping them really to understand, to imagine So he was telling them to look, to imagine, to understand the real significance of the cross. And of course, as he did that, he pointed them to Jesus. He pointed them to the one who lived a perfect life. He pointed them to Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. And he was the one person who didn't deserve the curse of separation from God. And yet the wonder of the gospel is that he became a curse for us. This morning when I was talking, I lost my place at that point, and I waited slightly too long. But actually, it's almost the point at which we should just hold off a minute and just think, because the fact that God took the curse, became a curse in our place, is just such a mind-boggling thing that we do well just to sit, sit and think about it for a moment. And to emphasise that point, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21 Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So it's through the cross that the curse that we deserve is removed. Jesus took the curse for us. Throughout, throughout Scripture, all of God's plan to save humankind is revealed. God the Father and God the Son, both willingly took this path. It would be wrong to think that it's just Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That was God's plan from eternity. So that God, this was the plan, so that God would take the curse for us. And as Paul reminded another group of Christians in Corinth, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In Colossians we read that God cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And it says he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. But it's not as if we can just sort of stand back and imagine a little note with all our sins uh, written on it, sort of pinned to the cross. Um, it's you know, and say, Well, I'm very thankful for that. It's much more than a remote objective fact. If we look back just at chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 20, we can read there, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we trust in Jesus, we're intimately united to him. by the spirit lives in us he died and took our curse but we too die to the old way of living no longer under curse but under blessing but blessing romans 6 says this romans chapter 6 verses 5 says this if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The cross of Jesus, his death, his suffering and his death, it's not just some old historical event that has no relevance today. It's the only way in which we can be rescued from the curse and instead enjoy the blessing of a restored relationship with God. So here are just a couple of final questions or challenges for us. If you've never trusted in Jesus, consider how hopeless, how stupid, how foolish, how daft it is to think that you can ever get there on your own. Look at at him, look at Jesus. See him dying on the cross taking the curse for you, and come to him by faith. And for you, if you have trusted in Jesus, ask yourself this question. Am I tempted to think that I can add to Jesus' death on the cross? Do I rely now on my own efforts? No, rather let's, let's make sure that we always have the crucified Jesus clearly in focus in our lives. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott ended one chapter by quoting an old hymn, and I'm just going to use one of the verses from that hymn as we pray at the end. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die.
2: Try and answer some of those questions that you sent in. Thank you for all those um, questions and for your votes as well. Um, so, this is always the easy bit of the uh, service for this you, Philip. The, this um, is the tricky, tricky bit. <laughs> So first question, um, with the most votes, what does curse or cursed mean here? So in this context. So I think,
1: I think curse here is referring primarily to separation from God's presence. So in you know, a curse or exile, so you know, think about the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament were disobeyed God and they went into exile, they went away from, from God's land and you know ultimately we when we when we aren't in God's family if we choose to go our way then at the end of the time God says okay you go your way we're separated so it's separation it's sort of separation from God and the way in which Jesus took the curse is because of course when he was on the cross you know there was that cry of dereliction where although God the Father, God the Son, were one, and it is God bearing our sins. But at that moment, Jesus could say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God, Jesus, was separated, you know, in a sense, from the Father at that point. So he took the curse for us. He, he suffered the separation from God.
2: Thank you, that was really helpful. Um, okay, the next one, um, how do we avoid becoming legalistic about faith itself?
1: That's difficult, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, faith is just just trusting in Jesus. So the moment we start adding other things to faith, then, yeah, that is becoming legalistic. I'd almost like to ask the person later (laughs) who asked that question quite, you know, what you were thinking Mm -hmm. about, really. Um, But, um, yeah, yeah, faith... Faith is just, is just trust. So constantly reminding ourselves that I can't do anything. It is God who's done everything. And yeah. we have to come, just like that hymn says, you know, nothing in my hand I bring.
2: Grand. Um Here's another one that asks, is it possible to reconcile this verse and ones like 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 10? For those that don't know 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, off by heart, which included both of us up here. Um, that goes, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I think you partly part of the answer to that is you have to come back, as I
1: said, when we get to chapter 5, because what chapter 5 will tell us is that the Holy Spirit helps us to live um, God's way. Now, of course, the fact that we live God's way, we're still imperfect, even as Christian people with the Holy Spirit living us, we still do wrong. But the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in Chapter 5, gradually changes us and changes us to be um, more like the sort of people who God wants us to be, more like the Lord Jesus, really. And, And... Chapter five also lists all sorts of things like like one Corinthians two Corinthians six, and saying, you, you know, the Holy Spirit will stop you being like that. So it's not that, it's not that, um, not doing those things. You know, those we have to differentiate between those doing wrong things or not doing wrong things being the thing that that puts us right in God's book. Because even if we think, well, I don't, you know, I'm not a sexually immoral, and I don't, I'm not a murderer, and I'm not a Drunkard, and I'm not a thief, so I'm okay. But of course, we've still failed. So um, you know, it isn't it isn't saying that really.
2: Yeah, I guess kind of getting that cause and effect the right way around, as it were. It's not doing good means that we're saved. It's having that faith, and that will lead to um, an outworking in our lives. Uh, We'll do one more quick one then. Um, uh, Which okay, maybe I shouldn't have said quick one. We'll do one more. Um, How did Abraham have righteousness credited to him because of his faith when he didn't trust God's promise to start with and had a child with his servant? So I guess it's that story uh, back in Genesis where he's promised the child and then he thinks that Sarah won't be able to bring him one and, and ends up having a child. And again,
1: and again, you have to come back in a couple of weeks' time because <laughs> chapter 4 goes into all that as well. So we'll be thinking about, about that, Hagar, the story of Hagar and the story of Sarah as being sort of pictures of, of, of the two different ways to go. So Abraham wasn't perfect. But back, you know, back in chapter, chapter 15, he trusted God. He believed God. Okay, he then went and tried about him going about it the wrong way. Um, and as we'll see when we come to chapter four, that's not a good way to go either. But God still, you know, he, he still had trusted God and that's mm. why he was credited with righteousness. Beautiful.
2: One final one has just come through very quickly at the end and it just says, can we have a definition of dereliction, please? <laughs> do, you me, do you want me to use Google for that one? So dereliction, sorry, sorry I'm using a, using a theological
1: term. Yeah, so, you know, it just means when, when, when Jesus was, was on the cross, feeling completely abandoned by God and deserted and all alone. That's really what it means. Thank you. Fantastic.